Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Like your son's baseball game, a Yankee game, where were you at? No, I was. We, we were in uh, we're in Richmond, Virginia, and uh, we have a minor league team here, Flying Squirrels. And uh, my wife threw out the first pitch tonight, so we were we you know we just got we got some comp tickets, so, so we went along and had you know my, my son went on the field and had some fun, and we watched the game for a bit. Yeah. Well, there you go. I'm a big Flying Squirrels fan, huge baseball guy, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah. Are you a big baseball guy? We could talk baseball on this show, too. No, uh, not at all. I mean, I've been to a lot of games. Like, I've worked at a lot of ballparks, and, like, I used to go to the Rays games when I lived in Tampa quite a bit, but I couldn't tell you anything about it. The first uh, question I wanted to get into was basically right off the bat, start from the bottom up. Uh, You were very young in your career. Before you even started bodybuilding, before you even probably thought you were going to be a professional wrestler, you were actually very proficient in uh, swimming and tennis, no? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was kind of a, I was a, I was, I was a sports kid. Um, you know, my father was a, was a professional rugby player. So, you know, sports um, and, and you know, was a big part of our, of our culture and our life. And um, yeah, when I was growing up, obviously football in England, you know, soccer was like, obviously his life. Absolutely. And, and, uh, and so for that, it was like, you know, that, that was what everybody played, but there was also, you know, we, we always, swimming was always a big part of, of my childhood. You know, we would go every week and I just, uh, I had the sort of the right build for it, you know, so I guess I just sort of took to it well and, and never really thought about it that much. But one day I was, um, I was just swimming as normal and somebody there recorded my times and um, they, uh, they came to me and said, you know, have you ever, do you compete or do you have anything for, you know, a part of any teams or anything like that? And I said, no, I've you know, never really done anything like that. And they said, oh, because, you know, I was just sort of clocked you just casually and like your times are up there with, you know, you're up there sort of at the, you know, higher end of the sort of, of the average. And I was like, okay, cool. And then I guess they sent it to uh, one of my PE teachers at school. And then they saw, and then they looked at it, and then they came to me and said, "Look, we can submit a team if you, you know what I mean, it went into the national championships, like with this time, you know, if you, if we can get a team together and stuff." And so that's what we did. It was pretty cool. Like, cause I just, I was like, "Cool, that sounds fun," you know. Like, I just, it was for me because obviously, I, I was already, I think I was fourteen when we did that, and so it was. I was already thinking about pro wrestling and, you know, wanting to be in front of crowds and all like that. And I think there was about 5,000 people there, you know, so it was still like, it was a pretty cool feeling, you know, to, and, and I, I, you know, I did okay. I think I came like fourth in like my, you know, my, my whatever. And, and I just remember thinking like, that was the coolest thing, you know, and, and, um, and that was that. Like, and then with tennis, uh, kind of the same thing. Like, just played in like regional tournaments and stuff, and then got invited to play in the nationals. I mean, I got eliminated in the first round, but you know, hey, I'm still, I'm still in nationals. <laughs> and you, you were a young kid too, right? Yeah, yeah, that was all in my teens when I was in high school. Yeah. That's unbelievable. And then you got into bodybuilding. You mentioned you had the build for uh, swimming. Were you a lean guy, and then all of a sudden yeah. it was like you always said you wanted to be a professional wrestler. You kind of just turned it on from there. Like, what'd you do? Uh, like diet wise and like lifting wise because that's again like a full time job like bodybuilding yeah yeah I mean I, you know I, it's funny because people sort of bring that up as far as like oh you were you know in bodybuilding so I don't I don't really know where that came from because to me I think of bodybuilding as like competing and I never did that like that would be um, you know that would be a misrepresentation but I, I certainly was a fan of bodybuilding and studied it and enjoyed it and, and to me it was just um when wrestling, when wrestling really captivated my attention the second time around, because I, I sort of, like a lot of kids, I think in the mid '90s, I kind of fell off a little bit with wrestling. Like I was into it in the early '90s, and then 
kind of by the mid nineties I'd sort of fallen off a little bit. Like I you know, I was still a huge Brett the Hitman Hart fan and British Bulldog David Boy Smith fan and stuff like that, but I wasn't it wasn't like I wasn't an adamant fan, you know, and then and then as the Attitude Era took off, like like Bad Blood '97 with the, the first Hell in the Cell with Sean and Undertaker, that was like the thing that made me go like, oh, like wrestling's different, you know, like it's got it's got cool, you know, and um, so once that sort of sunk in, and then by the time I got to like you know '99, like WrestleMania 15, The Rock and Stone Cold, I was just like. I was 100% like just so I, I watched every single thing I could and, and I just, um, just I think subconsciously just I had always wanted to be, be a, you know have a good physique and be bigger anyway because I was always a skinny kid and I think it, it just those two things just sort of correlated because I know I had always wanted to do that and I know my, my older sister t- tells me now like when I was a little really small kid I used to say like I'm going to lift weights and be big and strong you know and all right. So I think it all just kind of fell together, and then when I found wrestling, it was this perfect outlet to do that and to be an entertainer and to be an athlete. You know, you got to be everything. You mentioned, like, growing up watching the Attitude Era, Rock, Stone Cold, obviously the best era to watch pro wrestling, and that was probably the best era uh, you could have asked for watching as a kid. And you mentioned Bret the Hitman Hart, just because I've kind of dabbled into it. I haven't really, like, really studied this that much, but I've been studying it lately was the uh, Montreal screw job just very quick your take on that was that a uh, was that a shoot or was that an angle I, I don't believe it was an angle I um I've heard I've heard every conceivable you know opinion on it um and um you know I, I saw the I saw the vice thing last night um and I've and I've had that same conversation with Scott Hall and with other people where they've said, you know, how come they shot it and how come they and I, and I there is there is definitely some there's some relevance to that question, um, but to me, I just think that's probably you know you got to ask Kevin Dunn because I'm sure that it was just his instincts to just go, well, whatever happens, it's like let's get it on cam, let's get it on camera and get it on tape and you know it'll be there for prosperity. I mean, and let's face it. Uh, become, you know, one of the most valuable pieces of footage of all time in pro wrestling, considering that it was, you know, super controversial and, you know, people, they've all, they've, everybody, that's, the thing about it is that, yeah, it, it was painful for Brett at the time and I empathize with him and I I empathize with all the parties involved to, to an extent, although I do think it could have been avoided. Um, but in reality, everybody benefited from that. You know, everybody made money and they're still making money off it to this day. So, you know, in the end, everybody won. Absolutely. Great, uh, great overall uh, event that took place, changed the whole complexion of the wrestling business back in uh, 97. Do you think anything like that could ever happen again? Sure. Yeah, I, I mean, and honestly, um, with, the, with the emotions and the egos and the, and, the, and the live nature, anytime it's live, you know, there's always a chance that, you know, something could happen. I mean, a double cross like that is unlikely, but there, you know, but there are, there's always a chance, you know, that, that someone could go into business for themselves. It's kind of like, it's our it's our code of conduct with each other that we, that we honor that, that prevents us from doing that. But, you know, things can happen and uh, yeah, I would never rule something like that out. That would be something. That would be, again, event-changing, game-changing in the wrestling business. But uh, more on to you. So you enter pro wrestling, and I've been debating this uh, with Barkley since we actually got on this. It Was it DAM promotions, DAM promotions? Mm, no, I didn't work for that. I know who you're talking about, but that, I, I didn't start with that. I started with the Knight family. But I know when you uh, started out, before you actually moved, made the move to uh, TNA, you uh, wrestled uh, Marty Skrull in that last match, and you actually got Marty Skrull in uh, NWA Crockett Cup in a few weeks. How's, how's the build to that storyline been, and are you excited for the match? Usually excited for the match. Um, uh, it, you know, I've been, it's the match I'm most looking forward to since since Cody, really. And, um, you know, Marty and I, you know, we've, we've been friends for a long time. We, we legitimately went, went to wrestling school together, and I used to pick him up. You know, every Sunday, and we would drive to drive down to Dropkick's Academy, and like that's 
that's that was us and, and then we you know we did we've done holiday camps together we've come up you know through a lot of different things together and then and then we like a lot of people in the business you know we take our different paths to get to where we are and then eventually you know we found ourselves sort of working together again like when 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 i started with doing the nwa stuff and and uh and we're having having success with the as the world champion you know that that led to a relationship with ring of honor and then all in and everything like that and i think i think right off the bat you know the relationship with marty was one of the things that opened the door to that so i think it was you know it was always known that it was going to lead to a confrontation between us eventually in a title match and I can't wait for that match. NWA Crockett Cup between Aldis and Skrull. Um, but after that uh, match, early on in your career, you actually made the switch over to TNA, in which you adapted the name uh, Magnus. What, what came about the name Magnus? How did you uh, decide to go with that name? Well, I didn't decide it. <laughs> right. That's the, that's the short answer. You know, um, at that point, they had a full creative team and all that. And, and when I got there, I was handed a piece of paper and, uh, you know, I said, what's this at the top? And they said, that's your name. You know, and I said, oh, okay. <laughs> and then, you know, that was I had my vignettes and everything like that. They even, they even did my costume and stuff. So, yeah, didn't have a lot of, um, didn't have a lot of control over that. And uh, we spoke a little bit about uh, All In earlier. And I, I had the, you know, the opportunity to go there. I, I, I got to take it with one of my buddies. And uh, the atmosphere when you and Cody were in the ring, like before the match, you know, there's a, this is awesome chant, a standing ovation. And, you know, if I, that was the, you know, biggest big five field that I've, you know, ever been a part of in a, going to a wrestling show. And what, what was, what was running through your head when that, when that was happening? It, 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 it was obviously very, very special, you know, um, it, it was, there was a small part of me that, that kind of thought that we would get that, but you know, you never, you never want to, you can never really plan for it because obviously, if it doesn't happen, then you know, you look like an idiot, kind of standing there, sort of milking the there, you know, they're like. But but just based on the whole weekend, you know, we had uh, obviously, you know, there was the whole, there was all Starcraft and everything attached to it, and we had done the weigh-ins, and you know. And David Zagana did such a great job, like timing the last release of that final episode of Ten Pounds, which is a long episode where it was very emotional and it covered, you know, Cody's relationship with his father and everything like that. You could just feel, you know, by the time I showed up at the at the, at the Dark House event the next day, you could just you could just feel it from people, and I just sort of had this had this idea in my head that it was going to be like that, and I think Cody probably felt the same way, but we never really spoke about it to each other, and I think it just became this thing where we knew that by the time we had presented it with the entourages and like the in-ring introductions and then Earl Hebner, the referee, giving the in-ring instructions, I think we just knew that we were going to get them, and then when it happened, obviously it was, you know, it's indescribable when you have a moment like that, and uh, it's something that I'll never forget. And that whole event all in, uh, so many different names and faces there. First event, it was produced by uh, Rhodes and uh, Matt and Nick Jackson. How was the entire atmosphere backstage with in production with all those different guys there? Jericho was there for about like 10 minutes before he left for Fozzie. Like, how was that whole situation there backstage? It was the coolest, um, it really was the, the coolest thing I've ever been a part of because backstage, like the atmosphere was so great. Everyone was just so, everyone was just so on point, you know, like you could just feel that everybody wanted it to work. Um, and, you know, Ring of Honor obviously would like produce that with, you know, with, with, so there was a lot of familiarity there because everybody knew each other. So, you know, the production was on point and um, I think everybody respected each other and everyone was kind of, there was, everyone was mutually happy for one another. There was no sort of any bitterness about who had what spot or anything like that. Everyone was like, everyone knew what was, you know, what was going to be, what was going to work. And, and Devari was there for my entourage, you know, and, and Jeff Jarrett. And it's like, it's cool to me that I had my entourage there and, and three of those four guys now have gone on to sign with WWE. And like, and I remember Devari saying to me at the time, you know, like, he goes, this is the coolest like this is the coolest thing I've ever been a part of because he said it, it felt like everybody was over. You know, everybody got a great reaction. Like the whole, you know, the audience, the whole thing. It was just like 
It was jubilant, you know. I mean, it looked like an awesome event. Barkley said it himself. He was there that night in Chicago. Uh, obviously, Cody Rhodes' Young Bucks go on to form All Elite Wrestling. They have their first event on May 25th. And I know you're with NWA at the moment. Was there any uh, inkling of you that ever wanted to uh, join AEW right off the bat? And would you ever consider joining All Elite Wrestling? You know, you never rule anything out. You know, that's... Um that's not, that's a given. Uh, I've, and, and you know, we've we've obviously you know they're, they're friends of mine, and I was aware of that stuff you know happening, and um, that you know there were some conversations, and, and it's no secret to to the NWA or to me or you know to Billy and Dave, but you know we we you know they they made an offer to me, but I just decided to stay put right now because I you know because I'm. This is, you know, this might have been my favorite body of work to date, and uh, you know, I just I feel like there's a lot left to do, and I feel like the NWA, you know, has a huge amount of growth potential, and and I want to be a part of it, for, like, from, because I've been a part of it from from Jump Street, you know. Oh, absolutely, and you just said it right there. NWA's definitely been one of your favorite promotions to work with. It's absolutely. I mean, because honestly, it's <laughs> because I've, you know, I've pretty much. I've been, you know, been instrumental in, in building it, you know, and that's and that's obviously a very cool feeling. And, I, and I'm and I'm heavily involved in the whole process, you know, right? Like, you know, not not just the talent, you know. And it's so it's it's. But you talk about that that moment with Cody all in, like Dave and I had this conversation afterwards where I said it was this was gratifying to me because I think of all the conversations I've had when I was a TNA and and. You know, had a different idea of how to present myself and want to do it, and, and I was always told, you know, you don't get paid to write, you know, you get paid to do what we tell you, and, and you know, and then to, to be able to have that moment, which was, you know, arguably the biggest thing in wrestling at the time, you know, one of the biggest things in the business of, of that year, and to think that all of that was done through our own work, you know, we 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 did all that together like it wasn't one person going do it like this this is what's written down like you know it, it, everybody collaborated and that's when you get the best in this business and uh so you said uh nwa's you know the, the your favorite promotion that you've worked with you know you came in uh, a couple years ago you challenged tim storm uh you he you were defeated the first time you came back and the second time you know got the championship uh you go on to defend it all over the world. You have matches, you know, uh, a lot of people talk about the one in China with Cole Cabana, uh, who you actually wrestled uh, not too long ago in Ring of Honor. But uh, how does it feel to to be that that guy, that the, the centerpiece, essentially, of the NWA uh, over the past couple of years and going forward? It's anytime, you know, a promotion decides to, you know, give me the opportunity to be a champion, it, you know, you understand the responsibility because, you know, being a champion, you know, obviously, when in the wrestling business, we're not talking about, like, you don't really win, you know what I mean? It's not like, you know, you, you don't win, you didn't, you didn't really win the championship, right? Like, it's, we all, we all know what we're doing here, but it's, it's a... It's a, it's a stamp of approval that you can you can sort of be the 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 driving force of the promotion of the brand and everything like that and and obviously for me like that's a that's a responsibility I take very seriously and also it's like it's a challenge to your work because you you've got to go to all these different towns all these different countries all these different competitors of different levels and you've got to bring out the best in them. You know, even though you know most of the time, you know, the audience, if you're doing a show in like, like it, for example, I had a show in, uh, in Concord, New Hampshire a few weeks ago, you know, hasn't, you know, hasn't really had any wrestling at that ice arena since like the sort of 80s WWF, you know, heyday when they were running like three sets of house shows in one night. And, you know, we had, we had a packed house and they were into it, but, you know, the challenge is always like, does anybody here really think they're going to see a title change tonight? It's not on TV. It's not on pay-per-view. It's not, you know, it's, it's not a high-caliber opponent. So it's, you know, it's your it's your job to try to make people believe that maybe, just maybe, they can see it, you know. And that's all in the way that you present yourself and the way that you carry yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, couldn't have said it better there. And do you feel as if, like, obviously way different in NWA or AEW 
Ring of Honor, for that matter, way different than uh, WWE, the way they book things. Do you think it's more uh, critical to have, like, a big title change like that on a normal weekly show as opposed to at a big brand pay-per-view? Um, I think it's... I think it can be... I think it can help, yes. I think that there are times where you do want to... You do want to, you know, throw a bit of a curveball. Um, like, I, I remember... It was a few years back now, I don't remember when, but they, but WWE did a title change at a house show, you know, and, and I thought that was interesting because it was just, you know, that to me was always a smart move every now and then just because it's that way to remind people, hey, you know, it, you never know what's going to happen, you should buy a ticket. And, um, you know, that's the business we're in. And, um, but, but to me, that's, that's also, that's kind of what I was talking about before, is like, that's the challenge, right? Like, you have to, you have to do everything you can to make people believe on that night that maybe that's going to be the special night for them, you know, and honestly, because you never know, I mean, look, I won the title the first time at CZW, you know, in some, like, flea market in Jersey, so it's like, you know, no one expected it to happen then either, so it's kind of like, you know, that's always been our Obviously, with Cody, it was kind of like people, you know, it was 50-50, you know, like the way we had built it, it would have been it would have been hard for the people to come up short that night. But uh, even, at, even at NWA 70, I think a lot of people wouldn't have expected, you know, me to regain the title six weeks later, you know. So it's like, I think that ultimately it's like every move you make is a, is, is a way to try to keep the audience on their toes and at the same time keep them satisfied because that's the, that's the fine line you have with promoting is giving people what they want but also making them wonder what's going to happen. Oh, 100%. You talk about that live event at WWE. I don't know if it's the same one. I was there when AJ Styles won uh, the United States Championship at Madison Square Garden in a live event. Yeah. That, that's I think that's the one I'm thinking of then, yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm kind of like, I'm like, it was a live event. You don't expect anything to happen. I'm just on my phone. You hear the one, two, three. You look up, you're like, oh, what the hell just happened? Uh, so, like, yeah. WWE, like, definitely threw a curveball there. Uh, AJ Styles winning the U.S. title. Uh, you've been in the ring with AJ Styles in TNA. Tell me what it was like uh, wrestling a guy like AJ Styles, two phenomenal, no pun intended, uh, athletes of your caliber going at it in the ring. Well, you know... <laughs> AJ Styles and I are not the same caliber of athlete. No one, you know, AJ is a is a is a in a league by himself. He's, you know, he, he really is. Um, I've always said that about him. Uh, I've I've said publicly that I believe him to be the best in the business when he was in TNA. You know, when he went and uh, but when I wrestled him in uh, you know in 2013, I believe he was the best in the business then, and and I think it was proven. And obviously, then to see him what he did in New Japan and then to, to walk into WWE. Once upon a time, I remember having a conversation with, when my when my contract was coming up at TNA in uh, 2013, I went and had dinner with a WWE executive who will remain nameless. Gotcha. <laughs> and, uh, and we were talking about, uh, we were talking about that, and, and this, this guy used to work at TNA, right? So that was, so we were talking about guys, that's how, you know, that's how we had a relationship. And I mentioned in, in that conversation at dinner, I said, AJ Styles is the best, best in the business. And he looked at me like, <laughs> he looked at me like I had said, you know, <laughs> Gilbert was the best in the business. Yeah, right. <laughs> he looked at me like, what? You know, like, and he was like, uh, okay. And, you know, fast forward to like four or five years later and, and now look and, you know, and AJ walked into WWE, got a huge pop and never looked back and has been a top star since day one. Uh, I mean, 100% he's I, so I guess the whole big thing with WWE once you get there, Vince McMahon. Uh, I mean, what do we know as podcast hosts? Exactly. But I'm, like, I'm about to tell you, I wouldn't. I would. Well, I wouldn't know either. I'm as I'm as qualified to talk about WWE and Vince McMahon as you are because I've never worked there. And, and you know, nobody, nobody, nobody seems to know why. So. And basically, the whole premise there is that uh, until you prove yourself on TV in front of Vince McMahon, he really doesn't even know who you are. He kind of just like. I'm sure that, I'm sure, I'm sure that's right, yeah. 
and he kind of just, uh, you know, like he probably listens to outside sources but doesn't really give a crap until you prove him wrong. AJ Styles definitely proven him wrong there. One of his last matches in TNA was with you. I mean, I, don't, I would say just, I don't, want, I don't mean to cut you off, but I don't, I don't know if it's a case of proving him wrong because he was put, you know, he was put in a spot to prove that. I think, I think all he really yeah. did was just show him, you know, where he should go after that because he debuted at the Royal Rumble. So, you know, so they, they, there was obviously enough respect for him and his and his level of star power going in, you know, to, to, to debut him at the Royal Rumble. So I don't, I don't know if it's a case of proving him wrong. I think it was more a case of, okay, let's let's see how, let's see what kind of reaction he is. And it's a smart move to debut something like that in the Rumble because that's that's going to be a barometer, you know, to, to show whether or not you, you, you're as popular as you think you are. Given that we're on the topic of that, I asked you earlier if you'd ever consider joining AEW, basically say never say never. Is it the same situation with WWE sometime down the road? You said you talked with an executive that you will not name, understandably. Yeah, Legal that was rights. years ago. I mean, that was years ago. I mean, every time my deal would come up, it was just, nat- it was just natural that you would that you would put feelers out to the, you know, to the other side to, to help bump up your money, you know, like that's the business we're in, we're independent contractors. So, you know, that was, it, you know, that I wasn't doing it purely for that. I was, but at the same time, you know, TNA at the time, I worked my way up to, you know, get a pretty, a pretty good deal. And I knew that WWE wouldn't be able, to, not wouldn't be able to, but wouldn't, wouldn't have any reason to offer me that kind of money, you know, in a starting position. But I was just curious to see whether or not I could, you know, get a start at WWE because obviously everybody knows, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna play football, you're playing the NFL, right? right. It's just the way it works. And so, um, you know, that's a weird situation. It's like people are sort of asking it all the time, like, "Hey, why don't you go to WWE?" And it's like, "Oh, gee, I didn't think of that." You know, thanks. Like. It's, <laughs> It doesn't work like it's the same way with, with AJ and Joe and Bobby Roode and all these guys who went there in the end. It's like they stayed at TNA because they got better deals. Right. You know, like, because it's not just money. It's about schedule, you know, and, and uh, you know, we used to sit there and kind of work out our expenses and, and tax and everything like that and go, well, I'd have to make at least, you know, $75,000 a year more working at WWE just to take home the same amount of money and how many more bumps am I going to take to do that? You know, like there's, there's a lot of things to take into account, especially if you have families. We talked a little about AJ Styles' journey through WWE. Who knows? One day, maybe we'll see you there someday. But uh, another guy you faced in TNA was his last TNA match. It was contract versus your TNA world title was uh, Sting. How was it like being in the ring with a, like the icon Sting? Another uh, different type of athlete compared to AJ Styles, but definitely an elite uh, wrestler in the wrestling business. Well, there, there are two times. There, three, three if you if you include the time that I uh, was was in the ring with. With Hogan, I suppose. I, I, I suppose I, I had some interactions with Ric Flair on some house shows when he was managing Beer Money, that which was which was great, great fun. Um, like it was. There, there's a bit. There, 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 there's four people, I guess, that I've worked with, to whom I genuinely could say I never thought I would be in the ring with, and and that's Kurt Angle, Sting, Flair, and Hogan. And and obviously, like I say, Hogan was just like some in-ring promos, and and Flair was, you know, when he was as a manager for for Beer Money, so it was like, but. The first time I worked with Sting, I was 22 years old. I was like, I was so green, and uh, Steve really, really went to bat for me and basically said, "I think that there's something in this kid, and I want to, you know." But he needed, a, he needed a, he needed what we call a reset, right? Because he had lost, he had lost, he had lost a smojo on a pay per view, you know, and. Um, so the following TV, you know, he needed a match to sort of get him back on track, right? And and so, you know, I was, and I was honored that he thought that I was, you know, the right guy for that because obviously it was a win-win because I get to wrestle Sting in the main event of television at 22 years old and, and Sting gets to, you know, get a clean win over, over a big kid, you know, so it's kind of like everybody... Everybody and I had and and you know I'm not selling myself short. I had I did have good heat, you know, at the time with yeah. British Amazing did have good heat, so it was it was a good it was a good matchup for him. Uh, I, I, was, I never forget the the minute that when he first walked out, I just uh, you know uh, I forgot where I was for a minute. Like I was, you know, to me it's like that's that's literally a guy I watched as a child, you know. So it's like to have him come out and I'm sitting there going, oh. I'm wrestling him like what the hell? Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, same with Kurt. You know, the first time I was in the ring with Kurt, I was kind of like, ah, this is really happening. Like, 
Where's the guy Angle? And would you, so guys like Angle and Styles and Sting, what would you say is like your most surreal wrestling moment given you've been in it for a long time now? Certainly, the, certainly the, the, like I just described with Sting when I wrestled him at Impact because I, went, I remember when his music hit, like plays, you know, a huge pop and he comes walking out and I'm stood in the middle of the ring and I just remember for a second just being like, completely frozen and Doug Doug Williams was out there with me and obviously Doug was far more experienced than me I remember Doug saying like he, he obviously could tell that I was a little bit like deer in the headlights and he kind of went step out of it mate you know <laughs> in the game kind of thing and, and, and he like you know he's like I'll be right there at ringside you know I can't like I, I can't tell you how much help Doug was to me in my career in, in those days but he, you know he could tell obviously because I think it was a big deal to him too because he was just like yeah this is crazy and, and I you know um I think just because of how young I was and how inexperienced I was at that time, I think that probably was the most surreal. But certainly, um, again, like then when we did the main event Mafia, like that was a pretty surreal thing too because I remember thinking, how the hell do I qualify to be in this, you know, with, with Joe, AJ, and Sting? And then, you know, but for them to all say, no, we, like, they genuinely wanted me in that group, you know, like that. <laughs> And so that gave me a great deal of confidence. And then I remember in, it was in Las Vegas, and I remember thinking, if they say my name and I walk out here, and like, it, they and they, the audience just farts all over it, like I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm done, in, I'm dead in the war. Like my, you know, my career here is over. And thankfully they didn't. Thankfully I, you know, I got I got a decent reaction, and then I cut a good promo. And by the end of that, it was like you could tell, you could feel the energy of people going, yes, cool, like we're seeing a new guy here, like.
must-see moments and, and must-win matches and, and made people along the way. And I think after a while, people understand that and respect that. And you mentioned about getting into the business at such a young age, getting to be in the ring against the likes of Sting. And you talked about Doug Williams a little bit, kind of being a mentor there. Who would you say is your biggest mentor in the professional wrestling business, if not Doug Williams? Kevin Nash has been a big, been a big mentor to me. Um, Davari was a big help when I first came to TNA. He, he, he basically came up to me and said, hey, I heard you get your hotel paid for in your deal. And I said, yeah. And he said, cool, we should be friends. Nice. <laughs> I just, I, I admired the honesty and, and just like the sort of cutthroat nature of his, you know, he, we're only a couple of years apart in age, but obviously he had, you talk about a guy who got, you know, got a break at a young age. I mean, this is a guy who was 21, well, like I, I think it was 20 or 21, he was working with Hogan and Shawn Michaels and, you know, WrestleMania, you know what I mean? He did, you know, he was a different level. Undertaker, Angle, like the whole the whole deal, WWE. So he was, you know, he was such a young veteran, you know, and such a smart guy and, and such a good mind. And, and, I, and he, he, I even, you know, he kind of went in exile for a while. Like, he didn't really do a lot in the business for a few years there. And, and um, we always remained tight. We were roommates for a while. And he just he just smartened me up about everything, and then and so like it's very gratifying to me to see that when when all in you know I had him be in my entourage, and then I did a couple of interviews where I basically said he smartened me up more than anybody in this business, and then we did NWA seventy, and I recommended him to be the producer for that event, the lead agent for that event, which he was, and he did a hell of a job. And then, uh, you know, a, a couple of months later, he gets he gets a job at WWE, and you know uh, how much influence we had on that. Who knows, you know? But it was just cool to me to know that I was right. Yeah. You know, and, and that, like, I knew that because I would tell people all the time, you know, he's such an untapped resource. He's just such a smart guy. He's so diligent, so dedicated to the business, you know. And and now to see, you know. He's a producer of WWE, which is exactly where he belongs. Oh, and absolutely. I mean, he had that uh, little TV angle with Road Dog right off the bat after the Royal Rumble. I was actually at the Rumble sitting ringside. Elias is strumming his guitar and his music hits. That shocked me. One of your biggest mentors in the business, and if you haven't already had it, I mean, you have the likes of AJ Styles, Sting, Kurt Angle, Samoa Joe, James Storm even, like you said, Cody Rhodes at All In. Uh, what's your one dream match if you haven't already had it in the professional wrestling business? Um, oh, gosh. I uh... I stumped him, Barkley. It's a good question. You know, like this. Um, I, you know, the funny thing is, I've been asked it before, and it's just it's never, there's never really a good way to answer it. But like, yeah, I mean, because you know, in reality, I think that you know, I've worked with AJ Styles, but obviously, I would love to wrestle him on the biggest, on the biggest stage possible. You know, that would be, that would be incredible, just because I know how good it would be. You know, but I'm, I'm answering that as a professional, right? Like, right. Because I'm, I know, I know. He, you're going to give yourself the best chance to need. Like, if Shawn Michaels was, was still active, I would say Shawn Michaels. Um, because, you know, Shawn is untouchable. He's the best, you know, he's Michael Jordan. And so, like, uh, in that respect, I guess um, Randy Orton would would be someone I would love to, to wrestle. And Jeff Hardy, but in, you know, I suppose in a WWE ring or on a, or, or at least on a, on a, on a bigger national stage, you know, and, right. because Jeff and I always had such good chemistry. But I guess a, a dream match that it, as far as uh, people I haven't wrestled, then I would say uh, Orton. Randy Orton versus Nick Aldis. I'd pay to see that match. I don't know about you, Barkley. Hey, hey Randy, Randy Orton's got a very decorated career, but he's never had 10 pounds of gold. Absolutely. You know, and he's a third, third generation guy. I mean, you know, I'm sure it would mean a lot to him. Very interesting. All right. You never know. You never know in this and like we, in this business. Like we always say, we are open for business. You know, we, Cody, Cody Rose was a, a Ring of Honor contracted talent at the time of All In and, and all that. So, you know, it can be done if the parties want it to happen. Make the price right, brother. I will keep that on my calendar, all right? That is a dream match waiting to happen. But uh, so just a few more feuds that you had going back to your TNA days. Uh, I want to get into a little bit about the Samoa Joe, uh, both tag team and feud that you had. I mean, you uh, wrestled in a tag team uh, in TNA for a little bit, which kind of transitioned into a feud. Talk to me a little bit uh, about that before. Uh, I also want to ask you about your uh, feud going into Slammiversary with uh, James Storm. Um, well, there's a lot to cover in that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but my, yeah, I would say when you, you know, like you asked me before about guys who mentored me, like Joe has to be very high on that list as well. You know, he really helped me out so much. And 
we got thrown together as a tag team and they pretty much told us like we don't know what to do with you two so we're going to make a tag team and we just sort of went oh and, and I'm sure Joe was thinking oh great like I've got to be in a tag team with a guy who like I have you know who's, who's like about as, about as opposite of me as you can get you know and uh, and but see to me I was such a huge fan of Joe's that I looked at it as like cool you know like I should be in a tag team with Joe he's one of my favorite wrestlers and um, I just knew how good he was and, and um, I just right off the bat said hey you know because I knew all this stuff so well and I pretty much just said hey what if instead of you doing like you doing this part I do that part but then you give him your atomic drop and then I give him a boo and then you give him the senton you know it was like I just I knew all this stuff already so I just kind of into, you know in, uh, inserted myself in, uh, in, sort of, in a way to make it seem fluid and cool and suddenly, within a couple of matches, people were going like, "Holy God, this is such a great tag team! Like, yeah, amazing!" And we did, we did it. We had good chemistry, and I think people just, I think, I think it was a double-edged sword because I think it reminded people how good Joe was, and they like to see people. They like what people want to see with Joe is they want to see him smash people, you know, and do it in the way that only he can. And then, so they were getting that again, as opposed to what they've been getting before. And because you, you have to remember that Joe had been through some like pretty, you know random phases where he had like the weird face paint and the machete mm-hmm. and all that, you know what I mean? Right, yeah. So like then they got they got classic Joe again and that's what people wanted, right? And then and then at the same time they were getting to see this new side of like this guy who they thought, oh he's in a tag team with British Invasion and then he just sort of been this like random sort of pretty boy, you know, heavyweight guy that was you know body guy, like no, no, nothing really no real substance to him. And then they saw like they started to see stuff, you know, they started to see a bit of an attitude and a bit of an edge coming out and like and started to see me improving in the ring and then I think they just started to go, Okay, you know, and it was there was just that energy to it and you could just feel it. And the same thing as like I was talking about before with, with Cody and everything, it's like you could feel people were like were getting into it and then once we knew that it was like, Okay, we're off to the race. And then um, the whole James Storm feud and I was hit and miss with this, watched it watched it, turned the channel, watched it again. Um, your wife Mickey, of course, was involved in that feud leading up to Slammiversary. What was the whole storyline process behind that feud? Um, that was, you know, they, they had pitched, they had pitched stuff with, you know, to include Mickey before, and we had shut it down. Because um, I just, I just always felt like it was cheap, and, and for me, it was very important to me that I established myself before we ever did anything like that, because the last thing I wanted to do was just to sort of be labelled, uh, you know, as like, oh, he's, like, you know, for, you know, obviously within the business there's always going to be people that kind of try to hack me with that stuff, it's like, whatever, but with the, but with, with, in terms of the audience, you know, like, the, as far as, like, your television character, I was very conscious to not be, just for people's first impression of me as a character, to be like, oh, he's Mickey Jane's boyfriend sort of thing, um, so... I just, I felt like I needed to establish myself. I said, by the time we'd done that, I'd been world champion, you know? So I was like, okay, you know, like this, this is it's different now because certainly within, in, in TNA's world anyway, you know, she had been gone and I had been a top guy. So I was like, okay, it has more, it has more legitimacy now because there'd be more sympathy, right? Because she wasn't Mickey James's top star. She was a top star in TNA when she was there. Right. It was, it was like, she came in playing the role of, you know, Mickey James, my fiance and mother of my child. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't, you know what I mean? Because she, because she wasn't active there at the time, it worked. And yeah. I think that was that was why we were okay with it. And it was it was just a cool way to do something that I had never done. I would never really done any of that sort of real Jerry Springer type of stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like oh, real yeah. Personal, yeah, real personal sort of, you know, and, and every now and then in wrestling, it's cool to do something like that. You know, I, I, you don't want to do it all the time, but when I saw that and, and I, with James, I knew James was a great talker, me and James always had good chemistry. We were great contrast with each other. Um, I just knew that it would work. So, and it did. Uh, and uh, right after that TNA, oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, you actually, so jumping a few years ahead now, uh, Global Force Wrestling comes knocking on the door, started by Jeff Jarrett, of course. And uh, you actually got the chance to wrestle Tommaso Ciampa before he made the switch over to NXT. And describe that match. That just sounds like an incredible match. Just thinking about it. Um, yeah, it was fun. I would, you know, uh, I think it would be. I think. But I think both of us um, are much better now. 
you know. Um, I certainly feel like I'm much better now than I was then because during that time at Global Force, like, I just, I didn't know who I was, you know, like, I, I, I my, I, I really, when I left, when I finished the TNA and I, I chose not to re-sign and, and sort of finished up there, I really felt like I had earned at least an opportunity with WWE, you know, I, I really felt like I've done enough to at least get an opportunity and I just got flat out, like, just basically told, like, F off. Yeah. And I just, and I just kind of went, and, and there's some, there's, you know, there's, there's more to it, and, you know, I have, I have too much respect for myself to, to go into what it is, but it's not my fault, you know, and it's just, it's, it's just stupid what it is. But it's, but it's there, you know, and, and, and it, but it was like, I had to, I came to sort of crossover, I went, well, who am I, you know, like, what, like, what, what's going to happen now, like, what am I going to do, and, and I think with, you know, with, with Jeff and Global Force and everything, you know, he, he, he believed in me, he always did, I mean, he did the same thing in India with Rinka King, and then he was a very big advocate for me in TNA, so, you know, he brought me in, and I was the world champion, but, he, you know, but they, they weren't getting the best version of me, like, I was, I was very much, like, going through the motions, I didn't really know who I was, I was trying to sort of find myself, and it was the first time I wrestled as myself, but I just didn't, but I didn't really know who Nicole this was as far as the character, and, and you know, and so at the time, I, I just always felt like, um, you know, that it was, I, it just, it felt temporary, and, and I wasn't, I didn't have the confidence, you know, to, 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 to really experiment with what I was doing, so it was very much just staying within, like, uh, safe kind of confines of, like, my, you know, go-to stuff. So, but the match with Tommaso, I, I remember it went fine, but I, but it was just fine, you know, and that was, and that was, that had nothing to do with Tommaso, you know, like, he's, he's a workhorse, and it was, it was just one of those things where, we just kind of, it was like, it was, a, you know, we've only, that was the first time we wrestled each other, um, you know, he. It, 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 it wasn't a clash of styles. I'm, I'm, I like I like being a contrast to guys like that. But it was just, um, you know, it was fine. But I would. It, it was. I, I could, you can see how good he was. I just. I just felt like uh, we we've both improved a hell of a lot since then. So it would be. You know, I think it'd be a whole different ballgame now. And you meant that was kind of like when you began. Uh using your real name and Nick Aldis, you were Magnus for so many years. Uh, you mentioned all your heel work. Was it different? Like, just being Nick Aldis out there, did you feel like you had to change uh, your character, like, character-wise compared to who Magnus was in TNA all those years? Yeah, I mean, obviously that's, that's, a, that's a difficult thing, isn't it? Because you because that's kind of the point, is like, so much of the Magnus character was me, you know? Um, so, it's, you know, when, when a lot of it really just came down to a name, or um, it's tough because, yeah, then, then you having to, you, on one hand, you're trying to sort of reinvent yourself or reposition yourself, but at the same time, you're doing a lot of the same stuff that you did before, so then people beg the question, like, well, what makes this guy any different to Agnes, you know what I mean? And, and there, was a, there was a conversation when, um, I don't know if you guys remember or saw this, but Impact, um, under their new owners or whatever, they they suddenly put out this edict where they basically said, hey, anyone who had intellectual property with us before can use that name still. Oh, yeah. Like, you're, oh, you're, yeah, you're, you're, yeah. You're, and um, we, you know, we had that discussion. We said, you know, do we want to, do, do you want to go back to being Magnus now? You know, but rather, rather like, you know, and, and build off of those years, you know, six years on television. Um, and I said, no, I think I want to stick with mine now because we, because, We've done it, and it's authentic, and and that's and I'm I'm glad I stuck by that decision because I think that people now the good thing about the name change is that people can kind of define that era of my career as the Magnus years. Do you know what I mean? And then as I became, you know, as I became a man, like and got into my you know late twenties, early thirties, that's when you got to nick all this. You know what I mean? And and. And that's where you know, and that's when I sort of grew into myself. Well, there you go. And then you, uh, after Global Force Wrestling, you made the return to TNA, short-lived return. Um, 
Was the return uh, not what you anticipated? You went back to being Magnus. Yeah, well, that, and that's the perfect example of you know your frustrations when you're dealing with a lot of a lot of people who don't you know don't belong in the positions they're in, right? And or, or who who think they know better than you because they're because it's their job to, to supposedly know better, right? And that was a, it was one of those things where we came in and they said, okay, well, who are you? Are you Nick Aldis? Are you Magnus? And to me, I said. I'm the goldist now because I'm the, coming in as the global force world champion. Like, surely I should be Nick Aldis and, and they decided to do Magnus and I just said, I, I thought it was a mistake because I think people went, well, what, what's he, what, you know, people didn't know what was going on, you know, and I was, I honestly, I never had any intention to do any more than just that short run of shows. I, you know, I just, they, they, they asked me, they, they asked me to come in and, and work with Alberto and, and do that and I told him a number and that was it and I never had any intention of doing any more than that because I knew that it was I knew they were done you know I just I knew that there was nothing left for me to achieve there but I wanted to work with Alberto so uh, and how was that going with you Alberto uh, Al Patron everybody knows him Alberto Del Rio he's, he's, he's amazing he's, he's brilliant and uh, I was such a fan of his I remember when he debuted in WWE I remember going now that's a star you know like I was, because you know obviously you see all these new characters you know debut and stuff and um, I respected him already because obviously I knew I knew you know I knew of him before but and then I also respected like how he basically got that position like they, they brought him in and he was then they were you know, having a developmental stuff and he pretty much said no if, 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 if like either do something with me or I'll just go back to Mexico and they said okay fine you know and they debuted him and he killed it you know because yeah. he, he knew he was like you could when you meet someone like that like he's a man's man and you just and, and he had that presence and that aura about him where he, you just know this guy knows how good he is like and it's not an arrogant thing it's a professional thing like he, he knew how good he was and he, and he does the same I have a, a, a great deal of professional respect for him and, and I loved wrestling him and, and he, I tell you he's this is a, as big a compliment as I can pay anyone in this business when I was in there with him it felt like when I, it reminded me of when I was in there with Kurt Angle because he like physically like makes you work yeah. in, in such a good way like he brings out this like real raw authentic sort of athleticism to what he's doing and it really and, and, and I the only time I remember being in there thinking oh geez you know like okay fine we're in a we're in a fight you know but not in a bad way in like a really good exciting way and, and that's how I felt when I was in there with Kurt too I mean that that is a high praise there comparing uh, Alberto to Kurt Angle um and uh, I just want to talk about uh, two more things before I let you go. I know it's late on the East Coast, uh, but the uh, Aldis Crusade storyline in uh, NWA. So 20 title defenses in 60 days. Barkley touched on it earlier, that title defense uh, culminating with uh, Colt Cabana in China. Tell me a little bit about that whole thing. I mean, 20 title defenses in a two-month span is ridiculous. I think it was more than that, actually. I think it was really, really what really what happened was I just I had my I had my bookings already, you know, because um, typically, you know, if you're somewhat in demand on the independent scene, you know, you tend to be booked about three to four months out, you know, like that tends to be about the time frame. Sometimes shorter, sometimes longer, but most of the time you're you're kind of working, you know, sort of in that sort of three months out kind of area. And at the time that I uh, won the title the first time, at the end of 17, it, um, I just, I had a, I had a bunch of bookings and, and some of them were in, um, in the UK and Ireland and you know some across the United States and, and then um, then the China thing came along and I knew I had a and I knew I had a tour of Australia booked uh, in the summer for House of Hardcore so we suddenly just went we sort of stumbled on this great opportunity because at first the discussion was like well what are we going to do about title defenses you know are we going to are we going to make them like a very rare thing like a premium thing you know how are we going to do that? And I basically said, we can't do that. You know, as soon as everybody, as soon as the audience know that I'm the NWA world champion, and I show up to that show with the belt, but it's not on the line, people are going to be disappointed. It's like, you, you want our brand to be associated with disappointment? No, like I said, every every night should be a title defensive because then we can then we can lay claim to being a real world championship because we defended the title on four different continents in one year. 
so it just kind of happened that way and, and then it was just funny to watch all these people kind of praise it and like well they're going old school you know they're the traveling champion and like this and that and it was kind of like that just that just kind of happened but it just we just we just made the effort you know because Dave Lagana came with me to so many of those shows and documented them and suddenly it created all this cool content because people went wow this is really interesting like this guy's going all over the world defending the world championship and it was and and that was what caught Cody's attention. That's what caught the wrestling world's attention. And that's what kind of, you know, got us to where we're at now. And during that entire thing, did you, like, really enjoy that whole process? And what was your favorite title defense in that entire uh, process? Um, oh, man. Uh, really, I, I, I couldn't tell you a favorite one. Um, I really enjoyed, I had, a, I had a really good match in Australia with Robbie Eagles. Um, that was super fun, and uh, I'm, I'm really glad to see him going on to have some success in New Japan. And, uh, he's he's a great he's a talented guy. Um, it was a great crowd, and obviously it was Australia. You know, like it's just you, know, you get to go. Wow, I get to go to all these cool places and have a good match and make money. Like, you know, sign me up. Um, I had a really good match. Uh, I had a really good match with David Starr in England. Um, that was that was fun because it was a different sort of different kind of building, different kind of crowd, and like different kind of opponent in in David. You know, because he's very much of the sort of indie strong style technical wrestling kind of ilk. And you know, we I, it was like a an opportunity for me to to show that I can hang in that in that style. Um, but the cool thing, you know, that uh, is a bit of a cop-out answer, but I don't have a favorite because to me, the whole point is to have that variety, you know. I had, you know, like to wrestle like a, a heavyweight one night and then like a, a, a smaller guy the next night and then a, you know, a high-flyer guy the night after that or a brawler the night after that. Like that's, that's kind of the point because then you get to, and then that stands you apart as the world champion because you go, well, I'm... I'm the world champion. You know, I have to be able to do all of those things. Oh, absolutely. And wrestling all those different kinds of guys, like you said, the brawler, uh, the speedster, little guy, big guy, uh, probably was an awesome experience for you. So after, um, I have one more thing for you. After picking your brain about your wrestling career for like about an hour now, uh, I want to end the show. Basically, I do this every show with any of my guests. Basically, uh, any weird, embarrassing, uh, situation like precarious situation you've been in whether it was ribbing in the locker room or even like at one of your swim meets when you were 16 years old give me like a weird story where you were caught in a sticky situation that was just flat out embarrassing no I th for me the one the one that springs to mind is um <laughs> so this was when Samoa Joe and I were tag team we were the tag team champions at the time and we were on a set of, we were on some house shows with TNA and we were working with Matt Morgan and Crimson and um, I was actually traveling with Crimson that loop and we were in, I want to say, I want to say maybe Kentucky or West Virginia, somewhere like that and it wasn't a, it wasn't a particularly big town so we leave this one this first night and by the time we get out of the building there's nowhere open for food like we want to drive to the next town so we're basically making that decision like you know are we going to have a, a we're going to have a six pack of beer and and uh and like drive through or what but there wasn't even drive through you know there was nowhere open in this town like it was a really dead town um so we ended up having to get subway that was the only thing that was open was a subway at a gas station now if you've been to gas station subways at you know 1 a.m in you know <laughs> in the middle of nowhere you know it's it's touch and go that sounds amazing well I, I got gutted because I ate my sandwich by the time I got to the hotel I was sick as a dog like, I was puking like I had food poisoning you know plain and simple right I was puking and just I'm like and here's the thing with me I don't get sick very often especially not you know stomach wise but when I do it's brutal like mm. I it's like my wife has told me you know <laughs> when you get sick it's like the worst like it, it, you know, it doesn't happen very often but when it does happen it's like 
you know, things are going to die. <laughs> so, like, I'm, I'm just like, I'm just like, I'm hurling my intestines out, you know what I mean? I'm just so, I'm, and I'm just, I'm to the point where, like, Crimson calls D-Lo, who's the agent for the house shows, and says, Nick's really effed up here. Like, I, I don't, you know, he can barely, like, he can, he can barely take five steps before, like, collapsing and puking again. Like, this is, you know, if he doesn't get any better by tomorrow, like, we're going to have a problem. Um, D-Lo basically says, all right, well, keep an eye on him, and then, we'll, you know, call me in the morning or whatever. By the morning, I finally kind of settle down a bit, have some Pepto, whatever. And, uh, but it's, you know, I'm suffering. Like, it was it was bad food poisoning. Like, I probably should have gone to a doctor. But, I, so I get to the building and I, you know, I haven't, I, I haven't puked for about two hours. So we kind of make the call at like five o'clock. D-Lo's like, can you work? And I go, yeah, I can work. But I'm very delicate, you know what I mean? Like, no, I'm yeah. so out of it. Like, I'm super dehydrated. I'm just, so, you know, because I can't take anything. Even if I drink water, I'm just immediately like, Bleh. So I'm just, I'm like a shell, you know? Like, I'm just kind of, like, <laughs> Crimson and Gunner had to even help me, like, get my boots on and stuff because I was just so, like, was so weak. And so, they, so basically, I was just going to go out to the ring and kind of, Joe was going to do all the way, they were gonna, and we were going to do some kind of, you know, schmoz finish, I don't know what we are going to do, but I was basically just going to tag in a couple of times, do a couple of stumps or whatever, and then get out and, you know, and, and then and then do some sort of um, non-finish, right? Uh, <laughs> so I get my stuff on, you know, it was about 10 minutes before we are about to go out, you know, Joe comes and he's like, you good? Are you okay? I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm okay, I'm, I'll be all right. He's like, all right, let's just, just get through this, and then we'll get you, you know, We'll get you back to bed. You'll be all right. You'll have a blast. But I go, we go to the curtain, and I remember Gail Kim was wrestling before us. Because I remember Gail's music hit. Like, she won her match. And we hear, like, one, two, three, you know, yeah, Gail's music hit. And I remember standing there, and I remember just thinking, like, I could feel this sort of gurgle in my stomach, and I went, oh, it's just air. It's okay. You know, it's just wind. And I and uh, I go to I go to I go to fart I go to pass gas and just shit my pants uh, just shit my just shit my trunk so like so Gail's music king so I know I've got probably a minute before her before she's back and however long JB is gonna vamp in between matches like hey who wants to go who wants a backstage pass you know like oh who you know who's making the loudest noise or you know something right. So I know I've got about two minutes, probably. <laughs> or maybe three, including Crimson and Matt Morgan's entrance, right? And I just take one look at Joe, I go, I'll be right back. And I go running off, and Joe's like, oh, jeez. So Rob, I just, I, I pull off my trunks, pull off my underwear, throw them in the trash. They're like, they're finished. But grab, 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 a, you know, grab my spare pair, pull them on, come back, and Joe's like, our music's hitting, and I come back, and Joe's like, you okay? I'm like, yeah, he's like, did you shit your pants? I go, yep. <laughs> and we just go walking through, and we just go walking through the curtain, and we're just like, because, you know, me and Joe would always do that thing where, like, you know, we were kind of mouth, like, we were kind of shit-talking, like, just to whoever, to the world, you know, as we were coming down, it, but we were actually just talking to each other every time, so we was like, She's like, yeah, you're on, so you, you pants her, but like walking down there, I was like, yeah, yeah, full on ski in my drawers, you know. <laughs> so yeah, that, that was, um, those are the things that you don't see. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> it could have been a lot worse. Obviously, there have been stories about guys shitting the pants in the ring, but that, that was as close as I came. Well, I mean, that's what I was going to say. You're not the only one who's done that. There's been plenty of guys who have done that. You're not the first. That's okay. That happens sometimes. I, I took a, I mean, I took a, I went, a buddy of mine's a professional baseball player, Cody Decker. He, he plays, yeah. he's, uh, he's, on, he's on the spot for the Diamondbacks. He plays for the Reno Aces. And uh, he, we, and he, I, I, had a, I had a show out in, in LA and I remember I went to go lift with him during the day and we went and, and next thing you know we're getting all competitive with each other and we're doing like deadlifts and stuff we're like deadlifting you know 400 pounds 500 whatever you know and uh, my, by the time I got to the which was dumb on my part because then I'd sit in the car for like an hour and a half drive up the PCH to go championship wrestling from Hollywood and like my back is so tight at this point because it's like going from you know deadlifting and all that kind of stuff for tire flipping and, and then sitting in a car for an hour and a half it's really dumb <laughs> even dumber to do that and then so like I'm just so stiff I mean like I'm literally walking around like I've got a weightlifting belt on but I don't you know and uh 
And I remember like the guy I was I remember calling it a slam on the floor. Like to get a bit to get you know to wake people up a bit because you know that audience sometimes you got kind of you got kind of keep them on their toes because yeah. they've seen a lot of wrestling. And I remember calling like a slam on the floor. And he's like, sure. I'm like, yeah, yeah. He slammed me on the floor, and I was convinced. I was convinced I had shit myself. <laughs> I remember like I remember grabbing the referee. His name's Nick Bonanno. He's the, actually the guy who refereed my match in China with Colt too. And I remember saying, Nick, Nick. He's like, what's it? Can you check my? Can you, I shit myself and he kind of goes down and like looks at my looks at my butt and goes like he's like no you're good you're good <laughs> uh, like, was that after the first time yeah oh, that that was that was so you were just paranoid yeah, yeah that was last year oh my god so yeah you were you were paranoid for sure well I think because my thing is my back was so numb from being so tight and stuff that I couldn't tell and I was like I didn't I was like I don't know if that, I said to Nick like was that a fart or a shot and he's like I think it was a fart I think you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you mentioned Cody Decker and you mentioned the Flying Squirrels earlier. Like, for a guy who knows nothing about baseball, you sure do have a lot of baseball connections, Nick. We probably... I got one baseball guy. Hey, if you want... Have you, have you, did you see... If you're a baseball guy, did you see that he, Cody, Cody Decker is featured in an episode of 10 Pounds? It's, um... I couldn't... I can't remember which episode it is now, but it's one leading up to NWA 70. So, um... It was from, like, about uh, September or October of last year. But that's actually... There's footage from that training session that day because he teaches definitely going to take a look at that. You have to, and you'll be, I'm telling you, you're going to be impressed. We'll see. I'll give you a text. I'll let you know whether I'm impressed or not, but... (laughs) Cody Decker literally says on the piece, like, that might be the best first pitch I've ever seen. Oh, man. I can't wait to watch it. Well, Nick, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for uh, taking the time out of your schedule to chat. I know you've been busy all over the place. Uh, you got your match coming up at uh, Crockett Cup against Marty Skrull. Good luck in that match, though. I have a feeling you won't need it. Very talented. At the same time, you guys know what's going to happen anyways. Hey, hey. Watch. Hey, well, hey, I can... I'm... We, don't, we, we, we don't know what's going to happen. That's the thing. Oh, not yet? No. Oh, okay. Well, well, let us know when you know so we can report it first on our podcast. Sure, sure. I'll, I'll get right on that. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much again, Nick. Thank uh, you. I'll let you get back to your life. Thanks, guys. I'm so bummed. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's probably going to break up with you. He's definitely going to break up with me. Should have used tick pick. Wait, what'd you say? Tick pick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, tick pick. I thought you said tick pick. No hidden fees. Download today. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.